Good evening. It's good to see you in Tiffin, Iowa again. My name's Ryan. If we haven't met, I get to lead Salt. It's a really good time. If you're new, so happy you're here. So glad that somebody dragged you all the way out here. I hope that you have a good time. Um, I hope that you have an encounter with the living God, right? Like that this isn't just a show. This isn't just an emotional experience. This isn't just loud music and uh, people being cool people, but that this would actually be something special that you wouldn't find uh, in too many other places, right? Like we actually just want to keep this as simple as possible. If you show up week after week, you know that we do the same thing every single week on purpose. We sing and we try and stir our affections for Christ. We open up his word. We open up the Bible and see what, ha- what God would actually say to us from his word. And then we sing again because we have a lot to celebrate about the gospel, right? The good news. So this is what we're doing tonight. We're going to continue our series in the I Am series, right? We are having Jesus from the book of John introduce himself to us, right? Like he says these statements, I am blank, I am blank. Like before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. Zach killed it last week. Tonight, I am the light of the world, all right? The one verse that we are going to be kind of like uh, tethered back to all night is this, John 8, 12. It says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm going to read that again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And if you've been with us the last couple weeks, as Jesus is kind of laying down these I am statements, you're going to recognize something repetitive. People get really, really angry at him, right? They get like really, uh, it seems like confused or they don't want to accept like the heavy words that he's saying, like, remember after, like, before Abraham was, I am, they all, like, picked up rocks because they wanted to kill him? Like, you're going to see that happening, that people hear Jesus introduce himself to them, and it might not mean that much to us, like, he is the light of the world, that sounds really happy, it sounds really good, that sounds like something we want to be like, yeah, sweet, I want to hang out with the light of the world. But for some reason, these people don't like it, right? And as, as we see this repetitive theme go over and over again, we have to try and understand why these people are not receiving Jesus maybe as quickly as we would. Like, what do they know that we don't know that makes them feel the way that we don't feel? Like, where are they coming from when they're hearing Jesus say, I'm the light of the world? That actually is going to make them turn around a chapter later and pick up stones to kill him. When they get mad, they want to kill Jesus. Uh, with every name and title, it reveals something about him, doesn't it? It reveals his divinity, which really is just a fancy way of saying that he's calling himself God, right? Like we know that to be true with like before Abraham was, I am. Like he's saying these words, I am, that nobody was allowed to say. Usually people are saying, they're talking about God. He is, he is. But Jesus turns and says, I am. The most offensive, like heretical, crazy thing that anybody could say. And so as he's claiming this divinity, as he's claiming to be God himself, Every time he says one of these I am's, people do not seem to take it very well. It's polarizing. In fact, every time he alludes to the fact of being God or the Messiah, the one who the world has been waiting for, the people kind of like who can cognitively grasp what he's saying, right? They kind of understand the context of where Jesus is coming from. They polarize, which is a fancy way of saying we split the room right here and we spread out. Right? Like, it's like saying, when Jesus drops truth on people, it seems to do something. Like, half the people, I won't actually divide it, I'll be like, these people love Jesus, these people don't, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but half the people who Jesus is talking to, 
seem just to be cut to the heart. Right? They're in absolute awe and wonder. They believe him. They see his miracles. They believe his preaching. Like the Holy Spirit does something to their hearts to where their eyes are like, like scales falling off. Their ears are like unstopped and they can finally hear and see that Jesus is God. That he is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. The one who loves them. But the other half of the people, they can't stomach it. They can't believe it. They know, all, they know all of the Old Testament stuff. They know all of the religious stuff. They know who they're waiting for. And Jesus doesn't seem to meet their expectations. People either believe what Jesus says and their lives are changed forever and they follow him or people don't believe who he is and they hate him for it. And so here we are tonight opening God's word again. Opening God's simple word. Like, like literally one verse. I am the light of the world. And we're placing ourselves in this crowd in John 8. Like here we are, Jesus is in front of us, right? Like Jesus is here and he's saying these words to us, introducing himself with this descriptive divine language and we like the people of Jesus' day will be left with only two options tonight. Guys, I'm terrified about tonight if I'm being honest. Because as Jesus does what he does in this story to us tonight, as he shows up on the scene and says this profound thing that I am the light of the world, we are going to be left with these same two options. You will either leave tonight believing that Jesus says who he is and everything that comes with that, or you will not believe him and your heart will actually probably grow colder and harder towards him. This is who he says he is tonight, guys. He says that he is the light of the world. Not, I have a light, right? Not like Jesus isn't coming to the world. It's like this special prophet saying, I have a light. It's actually going to lead you into a good life and actually all the way to eternity, not I know the way to the light that you so desperately need in this dark and like twisted, perverted world. No, he's saying I am the light of the world. Why is this such a profound statement? What do they know? Like I said, what do they know? The people Jesus is talking to, what do they know that we need to know so we can feel what they feel? Well, this is why what, you know, he's claiming to be like who he's coming to be, but this is why it matters. Because the Bible actually opens up with this light this person of light in the very first page. And the Old Testament builds up to Jesus' day and it's like foreshadowing and like calling out this light that is to come, this light of the world that the world is waiting for, the rescue and the hope for God's people. And flip all the way to the end, the very last page, we see this divine light illuminating, warming, and bringing joy and love and peace to the new heavens and the new earth for eternity. When Jesus says he is the light of the world, this is what he's saying, and this is what these people knew. Okay, look at this, guys. This is crazy. Genesis 1-3. You, you guys ever read Genesis? It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. Genesis 1-3, kind of in the midst of this darkness. It says, like, the world was without form or void. They're like, there was chaos among the waters. It was just like this heaping mess. And God's very first words recorded in the Bible is what? You guys know it. Let there be light. Let there be light. And guess what? There was light. Jesus is saying when he's making this claim about his identity that he is his agent of creation, the word of God that illuminated the very world that you and I inhabit. Look at Isaiah 9-2, this prophet. He's, he's longing for God to show up, to send this Messiah to destroy the dark powers of sin that have a chokehold on God's world. It says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. Isaiah, this prophet, 
He's talking about the promise and hope for a drop of light into this dark world. The Messiah, the one who is going to destroy and eradicate evil forever. Psalm 119.105, like this, imagine like this, this, uh, this singer, like this songwriter just crying out in desperation, needing, calling upon God. Like I need one thing in my life if I'm going to make it to the end. If I'm actually going to follow you, God, and make it to the end, this is what I need. Your word. Your word is what I need because your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is the one that the psalmist rightly recognized as the only one to get us home. Jesus is he who on the very last page of the Bible in Revelation 22 says that night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Why is this title so polarizing? Why when Jesus rolls up and says, I'm the light of the world, why is not everybody flocking to him like we would like a bonfire, like a moth to a flame, thinking this is so good? The reason that doesn't happen is because Jesus is claiming to be the eternal king of glory. Jesus, the ever-present and evermore, the eternal light of the world, has actually burst onto the scene, and some people don't believe it. But here he is, this glorious, powerful illuminator himself, cloaked by human skin, Here's the creator of the sun and every single star, caked in dirt from his travels. Here's the absence of darkness himself plunged into the world of sin. And we have got to ask the question tonight, why? Like really, like why? If Jesus is light, if he is the light of the world, if he was no beginning and no end, glorious and wonderful, why in the world would he take on this shape? Why in the world would he veil himself? And be hated by people who should believe him. When Jesus said these things like this about himself, the crowds were torn because it was so weighty. But Jesus became a man boldly proclaiming this radical identity for the sake of those people like us who hate him. Jesus was willing to step down from glory because he is actually, he knows, he is actually the only thing that this world needs. He's the only one that you need, he's the only one that I need. As he proclaimed this truth by himself, this was the best news ever for some, wasn't it? This is incredible news. It's amazing. Yes, the light of the world is here. Death and sin have no more power over me. The crowd was definitely thinking that. But what's also true is that this proclamation of light was terrifying for others. In fact, the light was such terrible news for some that they did hate him for it. They hated him for it and they killed him for it. The darkness of sin gave it its best blow. And as the light of the world hung on a cross, despised by evil men, Luke records that the sun's light stopped shining in that moment. That the, the, the sun, the stars had to look away. The crowd, or the, the sky, had to even grow dark as the light of the world was hung to death on a piece of wood. And darkness won, or so it seemed. And for three days, this claim of Jesus and his identity was actually put to the test. But praise be to God with flying colors and explosive joy. The light overcame the darkness once and for all. So as the risen son of God, Jesus, walking out of his own tomb, stood there and looked at his followers in the eyes and said, I told you so. And he said, follow me. I'll be in heaven waiting, but I'm going to send my helper. And I'm asking you now for the rest of your life to follow me. It had a new weight to it, didn't it? I was the one who said, let there be light in the beginning. It all made sense. 
I was the one who for all eternity, I will light the cosmos with my very glory and my shine. I am the light of the world, and this is truth worth staking your entire life upon. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's talking about himself. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Me. So this is what's at stake tonight. All of that to say, all of that biblical tour of light and understanding, knowing what they know so we can feel what they feel, this is what's at stake right now for you and me. The light of the world is before you. How will you respond? This is what it means for us tonight for God to actually show up, for Jesus to actually be alive and to be here as the light of the world. It means two things. Very simple. If you're taking notes, it's an incredibly easy night to take notes. One verse and two points. First thing, it means something terrifying. And it means something wonderful. If the light of the world, Jesus, is alive, risen from the dead, and he is who he says he was, and he is this light from eternity past to eternity future, God himself, then this means something terrifying. And it actually means something wonderful as well. Let's start with the terrifying. Bad news first, right? Let's do it. Um, Why would it be terrifying for Jesus to describe himself as the light of the world? Why would this be terrifying? Because when light is shown in the darkest corners of my life, When light is shown in the darkest corners of your life, you are exposed, and I am exposed. When light is shown on your life, every secret, everything hidden, everything that you know about yourself that nobody else in the world knows becomes plain and known. When Jesus shows up, what you did last night or what you did last weekend is no secret anymore because Jesus knows everything. There are no secrets from the all-knowing God. There are no secrets and there is nothing hidden in darkness from the light of the world. And if we're honest, this might be the worst and most terrifying thing that we could possibly hear tonight. No matter how highly people praise you in your life, Jesus will not be fooled, guys. No matter your good reputation in salt company or in school or your family or whatever, when the light arrives, every single thing about you is laid bare and plain and you are known and you are seen. Whether you're a ministry leader, you're on leadership, you're on staff, you're on stage, who cares? When the light arrives, nobody is exempt. Whether you see yourself as a sinner or a saint tonight, you're coming through those doors coming from different places, no matter how you identify with yourself, the light of the world is blindingly good, perfectly pure, and everything bright and holy. We need to be first blinded by this light of the world tonight. Like Paul getting knocked off his horse, charging into the city to kill Christians. The greatest thing God ever did for Paul was knock him off his horse and blind him with the heavenly light. And we need the exact same experience if we're actually going to end tonight rejoicing in Jesus being the light of the world. That means whatever you and I brought in here tonight, it is not actually safe in the presence of Jesus. Whatever sin, baggage, pain, shame, hardship that you have brought in tonight, it is no longer safe when Jesus shows up. 
That means no amount of clearing your browser history will keep your porn addiction alive tonight. That no amount of white lies about what you and your girlfriend or boyfriend are doing can actually continue tonight. No amount of good self-talk about how you're not that bad will actually stand in the holiness and the presence and the light of this God. Not even any amount of shame or self-hate can survive in the brilliance and the mercy of the light of the world tonight. This is terrifying. The light of the world, Jesus is here to do what he means to do, guys. He showed up tonight to destroy darkness. And this is terrifying because I don't just have dark corners in my life, okay? It's not just me like with one hand over here, like I'm worshiping Jesus and one hand over here, I got like a PBR or something in my hand and I'm like coming in as just like this hypocrite who just needs the beer bottle knocked out of his hand and all of a sudden I'm good. No, no, it's not just dark things that I do. The Bible actually describes us before we know the light, before we actually have a relationship with Jesus as darkness itself. Ephesians 5 says that before this light, we were darkness. It is the very thing that defined us. What a terrible title. What a terrible name to have before the God Almighty. And if the light of the world has come here to end darkness, what does that actually mean for me or for you who are darkness? It actually means that the very things which we hold much, most closely to us, the things that we maybe even relate with the most, the addictions that are so prevalent and gripping on our souls actually have to die. Where freedom from sin is experienced, joy explodes while God upholds his promise. And this is our joy. But this is my fear for us tonight. You ready for this? Yeah? You still with me? This is my fear tonight. That we would view this light, the light of the world, in our interactions, in our relationship with Jesus, our interactions with his church, that we would view this light like a fair-skinned redhead at the beach. Okay, hold up. Um, this is what I mean by that. Some of you are like offended, shoot, sorry. Um, this is what I mean by that. My fear is that some of us want light, but we don't want too much. <laughs> like, <laughs> my fear is that we want all the good things that make us comfortable. We want all of the good things from this church or that church or this ministry or that ministry. We want the good feelings that come with worship. We want the song to really hit us. We want the message to make us laugh and cry and feel all the feels. We want Connection Group to be our best friends in the world. We want all the goodness, but we are terrified to get burnt if we get too close. That we are terrified that if we actually fully expose ourselves to this light, it wouldn't actually feel good. So what I want to call us to tonight is exactly what Jesus wants from us what he is calling us to. What I expect from tonight is exactly what happens when Jesus stepped into this earth, guys. I expect many of you to never come back after tonight. And I expect many of you to finally experience the true freedom of living in the light. I expect many of you to feel exposed when Jesus rolls up because he might actually ask you to follow him with every single thing you have. And you know, in all his light, you cannot continue in the darkness 
that defines you if you are going to follow him. And you will hate him for it. But I also expect many of you to realize that you don't actually have to be terrified of the light anymore. That the facade that you put up and the mask you made and the image that you create for yourself actually doesn't have to be what defines you anymore. Because that will fail you. And when you get to the eternal finish line and you are standing before this God of light and it's not just words on a page but you're actually looking in the face of Jesus himself, you will be naked and exposed with all of your sin on the table. And whatever identity you have created for yourself right now will be laid bare and be completely useless and you will be defined as darkness forever, separated from the eternal light of light himself. I expect you to see him for who he is, this glorious, holy, unapproachable, and good king, only to realize that in his unapproachableness, in his holiness and his goodness, that he has approached you. And not to destroy you, but to love you. He, in his blinding, exposing, sin-killing light, has come not to ruin your life tonight, but to offer you true life. He has come to give you this light. He has actually come to give you himself. Do you know what's so wild about Jesus calling himself the light of the world? We got this full biblical context. We understand that it's just like eternally profound and it's so polarizing and some people are gonna hate him for it and other people are gonna love him for it. But what's so crazy about this, I don't know if he does this with any other name like that he's calling himself, but he actually, in Matthew 5, shares this name. That something so amazing happens when people come in contact with the light of light that he is actually sharing it with others. Look what he says in Matthew 5, guys. You, talking to his disciples, Matthew 5, 14. Talking to people who are actually following Jesus. He says, you, followers of me, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why in the world would Jesus say this? To a bunch of ragtag, uneducated losers who are full of sin. How could Jesus say that to his people? Why would Jesus call his followers the light of the world? It could only be for one reason. As we follow Jesus, as his light destroys our sin, it kind of explodes and overflows with this joy from inside of us. The world will be drawn to this light. The light of God. And the world might fall in love with him. That as you sit with this Jesus, as you relate and know and live and follow with this light of the world, you will become a reflection that draws the world in. And the joy that you are bestowed actually becomes your gift to the world. That this relationship isn't just for you, but it's actually meant to magnify the glory of God to every single person you come in contact with. That this room of people is not meant to be a lukewarm bunch of people who are half in and half out, but a people that shine and look different from the rest of the world, who fight their addictions harder than the rest of the world, who lean into the grace and forgiveness of God unlike the rest of the world, who hate their sin and run from it and fall on their knees and sing and throw their hands over there like nobody else in the world. And what this is saying is that that light of the world is going to work through you in miraculous ways. That though Jesus is not physically standing right here with you tonight, you, as you meet with him, can leave this place and be the very light of the world yourself. Jesus, the light of the world, has drawn you here tonight and he wants to shine on you in profound ways. 
He wants you to be purged of darkness, repent, which means turn away from your sin, change your mind, stop walking in sin and literally turn and walk in the other direction. That's what he wants for you and me tonight. He wants to enjoy a relationship with you, not half in, half out, but fully in the light. He wants you to sit with him and to know him, bask in that light and glow for all the world to see. He wants to save you from your sin and bring you into this marvelous light starting right now. If you don't know the light of the world, I'm just imploring you to do what Jesus asked you to do, plain and simple. Repent and follow Jesus tonight. If darkness is what defines your light tonight, if darkness is what defines you and your life tonight, if you're addicted, broken, and sin just doesn't seem to leave you behind, and you are so sick of hiding it, guys. Repent. Confess with your mouth that you were wrong and that you can't do it on your own, but Jesus, by the power of his blood spilled for you on the cross, can actually break those chains that so bind you tonight. And that the light of the world might be terrifying to you for a moment. but he is your only hope. He is your life and he loves you. And Christian, follower of Jesus tonight, get really stinking excited. Continue to throw off your sin. Continue to just feel the freedom of no shame in this life for now and forevermore and get excited, get stoked, and get pumped that it is not on you and your goodness and your holiness and your perfection to change this campus, but it is Jesus simply shining through you. Drop the act, embrace the light, and see what he would do. Let's pray. God, I've been incredibly exposed all week sitting in this light and it has not been comfortable at all. It's made me sick at times. I'm so sorry. I'm just, I'm so over walking in sin. God, please just clear out the vats of my heart. Amen. Guys, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna sing a couple more songs like usual, but if you want, if you're feeling a tug, if, if, if the light is feeling closer to you than normal, if, if you're seeing Jesus and you're feeling like this welling up inside of you of, I've got to drop this act. I have got to get rid of this sin. I have got to tell somebody and just be done with this for once and for all. This has got to stop. I don't want to be afraid of light. I don't want to be destroyed by the light. I want to experience his goodness and his forgiveness and his mercy. Then I'm telling you during these songs, as we're literally singing about coming before the throne of God, like approaching the finish line, approaching Jesus victorious on his throne with his father. Don't do that without confessing your sin. Don't casually stroll into the majesty of the creator, the perfect one, and just flippantly throw your hands up and pretend like everything's good. 
No, use this time. Grab a friend, run to the back of the room, run to the side of the room and confess your sin. Throw it off and sit in the good gospel that Jesus knows you messed up. He knows you're addicted. He knows you can't do anything but darkness on your own, but he is here to forgive you and to shine through you and to change you. Grab a friend and do it. You don't have a friend. Cool. We'll be in the back looking for you. The staff will be spread out back there just desperately wanting to, we need friends too, desperately wanting to just throw off sin and experience the joy that Jesus would have for us in his glorious light. So reflect, sit in this, sing, confess sin, but whatever you do, let's turn to Jesus and worship with every single thing we have.